hope you didn't forget our weekly ritual since I was gone last Sunday. Each week we have recited the four promises that God made to Abraham, and we're going to say it together this morning. God promised Abraham a name, a land, a son, a blessing. God made these four promises all the way back in Genesis chapter 12, and last week you saw the promise of a new name fulfilled. God changed the names of his chosen man and woman. He said, no longer will you be called Abram, you will be called Abraham, for I have made you a father of many nations. I will make you fruitful, I will make nations of you, and even kings will come from you. Abram means father, Abraham means father of many. God says royalty will come from you because of this name. Abraham's wife, her name doesn't stay the same either. She was called Sarai, but now she's called Sarah, and Sarah means princess. Again, this family is going to give birth to royalty. She will become a mother of kings. We saw Isaac's name last week. Isaac means he laughs because Abraham and Sarah laughed at the promise that God made that they would have a child in old age. Basically, God says, y'all are laughing at me. Who's going to have the last laugh? And Isaac is born. In chapter 21, we see this promised son finally enter the scene. And even though it's just been a few scriptures, a lot of time has passed. We'll have a little bit of review on the screen. We started all the way back in Genesis chapter 11. We've talked about the Tower of Babel. We've talked about the promises God made in chapter 12. We talked about Lot's whole disaster of a life in 13, 14, and 19. We looked at chapter 15 when Abraham suggests his servant, Eliezer of Damascus. Perhaps he could be the heir to, for my inheritance. And God says, no, a son from your own body, your own flesh and blood. Uh, will be your heir. We saw in Genesis chapter 16 and 21 the whole debacle with Hagar and Ishmael. And despite the fact that Abraham and Sarah do not treat them well, God blesses them. And last week, uh, Eddie talked about the covenant of circumcision. Now, I'm going to put on my teacher hat on today because this story that we read just now is one of the most scandalous stories in the Bible. And I think that it deserves... Attention! I think it deserves focus. I think it deserves um, a slow and careful study. Because God tests Abraham. We read, sometime later, God tested Abraham. He said to him, Abraham, here I am, he replied. And God said, take your son, your only son, whom you love, Isaac, and go to the region of Moriah. Sacrifice him there as a burnt offering on the mountain, I will show you. The rabbis said that this is the tenth of uh, all the tenth test that Abraham goes through. The first test was all the way back in chapter 12 to leave his father and family and land and go to a land that God would show him. So in the very first test, God was telling him to leave his past behind. But now, this final test is a surrender of his future because all of his hope, all of the promises rest in who? This son, Isaac. This is the tenth and final and greatest test he will go through. And we need to be specific about what God is saying. He is telling a father to kill his son. 
to burn his corpse as a sacrificial offering to God. If your stomach doesn't churn, you are not understanding this story. This is the most difficult command God has ever given to his chosen Abraham. But I think that there is a misunderstanding about this story we need to correct from the start. If you look at the way that Christians have depicted this scene, you might think that Isaac is a boy, a mere child. This depiction that we're going to put up first is by Caravaggio. It depicts Isaac as a boy, maybe a young teenager. Abraham is in the red, an angel has appeared over his right shoulder, and you can see the knife in his hand. But that depiction of Isaac makes him out to be just a boy. This next depiction by Santiago makes Isaac even younger, maybe less than 10 years old. One of the most common misunderstandings about this story is that Isaac is just a young child, but I think we have at least three reasons to believe that Isaac is a young man. First, Isaac himself carries the wood of the sacrifice up the mountain. He would have to be strong enough to haul a bundle of logs for firewood up a mountain range. This is not an easy feat, and a boy could not do it. Second of all, the Hebrew word used for Isaac is na'ar. That word describes Benjamin when he's 22 years old, and it describes Joseph when he was around the age of 30. It would be crazy to use that word for a child. Third and finally, the rabbis held that Isaac was, sometimes they said he was 25, other times up to 37 years old. I am not saying that that makes this all understandable and now we're okay with it and we can move on. But it means that God has never asked anyone, including Abraham, to perform child sacrifice. Let me be clear about that. So once we understand that, let's walk through this story. I want you to put on your student hat, and we're going to go through this, uh, this uh, chapter verse by verse. Okay? We'll start in verse 3. After God commands Abraham to sacrifice his son, he gets up first thing the next morning. He loads his donkey, and he takes with him two of his servants and his son Isaac. When he had cut enough wood for the burnt offering, he set out for the place God had told him about. And on the third day, Abraham looked up and saw the place in the distance. I want to make one comment before we move from this slide. Abraham decides to take two servants with him, which means he's taking two witnesses. The decision to take witnesses is very bizarre if he thinks they're going to go up the mountain and Isaac isn't going to come back. He brings two people who will be able to say, Abraham went up the mountain, Isaac went with him, and now he's alone. This behavior is very strange if he thinks Isaac is going to stay dead. Let's go to verse 5. He says to his servants, stay here with the donkey while I and the boy go over there. We will worship and then we will come back to you. Now this verse is difficult to interpret. What is he doing here? Is he lying to deceive Isaac? To make him think that this worship is just going to be between the two of them? Or does he believe that somehow they both will come back? What does he say? We will worship and we will come back to you. We don't know. If you're just reading the book of Genesis, it's not clear at this point what Abraham means and what he's doing. 
in verse 6, we read that Abraham took the, word, the wood for the burnt offering and placed it on his son Isaac, and he himself carried the fire and the knife. As the two of them went on together, Isaac spoke up and said to his father Abraham, Father, yes, my son, Abraham replied. And this is the only sentence from the mouth of Isaac. The fire and the wood are here, but where is the lamb for the burnt offering? Abraham answers, God himself will provide the lamb for the burnt offering, my son. And the two of them went on together. Now it is frustrating, even maddening, to read this in my office for the past couple of weeks and not know what Abraham means. Does he mean that they're going to go up the mountain and they won't have a lamb the entire time? And finally, when they arrive at the top, voila, a lamb is there, a substitute for his son. Or, if you look at the Hebrew, it's not very clear. Is he addressing his son or describing the sacrifice? Let me read that bold part again. God himself will provide the lamb for the burnt offering, comma, my son. Is the burnt offering his son? Is he hinting, even telling Isaac, do the math? It's just me and you. There's no lamb here, my son. Or is he being deceptive? Is he making him think, tricking him, deceiving him to believe, oh yeah, God's going to provide something at the last second? We don't know. It's maddening how reticent the author is to tell us exactly what Abraham is thinking. And this last verse, y'all, is so devastating. The two of them went on together. They're totally silent from here on out. Imagine that silence. Clearly the father knows something the son doesn't know. I don't know if you remember that verse from the prophet Isaiah when he spoke of a lamb being led to the slaughter. As a sheep before its shears is silent, so he did not open his mouth. Sounds a lot like Isaac in this moment. The silence continues as they keep walking. In verse 9, when they reached the place God had told him about, Abraham built an altar there, arranged the wood on it, and he bound his son Isaac and laid him on the altar on top of the wood. Now, if you look at your physical Bible, it probably says the sacrifice of Isaac, or maybe Abraham is tested, but that's actually not what the Jews call this passage. They call it the binding of Isaac, and it's all about this verse, because the question, the most difficult question, the question that we don't really get a definitive answer to is this. Was Isaac a willing sacrifice? Seriously, let's pause to think about that for a second. Is Isaac a willing sacrifice? We know that Isaac is a young man. He's in the prime of his life. He's able to bear the burden of a pile of wood on his back and walk up this mountain. He's probably in his 20s or 30s. And the question is, would an, would an old man, as, as old as Abraham is, be able to bind his unwilling son? Abraham is supposed to be well over 100 years. He has a son at the prime of his power, and the father is way past his prime. Can Abraham actually bind him if he was not willing? The Jewish rabbis claimed that Isaac asked his father to bind him, lest he struggle in fear. 
Remember the conversation walking up the mountain. Hey, Dad, where is the lamb? And his father says, God himself will provide the lamb, my son. And afterwards, there is only silence. Has Isaac gotten the hint? Has he accepted what's going to happen? Does he submit to this? Unfortunately, the author just does not give us an answer. My first century demands, I, I want to know how Isaac feels. I want to know what's going on in Abraham's mind. But the unavoidable fact is that the author does not do what I want him to do. He doesn't answer this question. But whether or not Isaac is willing, we know for a fact that Abraham is. We read in verse 10, Abraham, Abraham reached out his hand and took the knife to slay his son. You can't wiggle your way out of this. You can't avoid this. This is what he intended to do. And it is only then, after he takes the knife, that the angel of the Lord calls out to him from heaven, Abraham, Abraham, here I am, he replied. Do not lay a hand on the boy. Do not do anything to him. Now I know that you fear God because you have not withheld from me your son, your only son. God stops the sacrifice of Isaac, but he continues with the sacrifice of an animal. We read in verse 13, Abraham looked up and there in the thicket, he saw a ram caught by its horns. He went over, took the ram and sacrificed it as a burnt offering. Let's read that last phrase. Instead of his son. Let's do that again. He went over, took the ram, sacrificed it as a burnt offering instead of his son. So Abraham called that place the Lord will provide. He said, walking up the mountain, God will provide. And God does. After Abraham's obedience, God reiterates all four promises to bless him. To make his descendants as numerous as the stars in the sky and the sand on the seashore. To make him a great nation. To take possession of the land. But there's something tragic after God promises these four things again. I don't know if you noticed this, but on the way up the mountain, there was a lot of emphasis on Abraham and Isaac going up the mountain together. Seven different times we're told that they journeyed together, father and son. One, Abraham took two servants and his son with him. They cut the wood of the sacrifice together. He says, I and the boy will go over there. We will worship. We will come back. As the two of them went on together, Abraham answered, two of them went together. And when they reached that place, they're always going up the mountain together. But what's the very last verse we read in this story? Abraham returned to his servants and they set off together for Beersheba. And Abraham stayed there. Where's Isaac? Is he still on the mountain? Is he praying to God about what he just went through? We have no idea. All we're told is that Abraham comes down the mountain after this harrowing experience. And he has endured this final test of God. The Old and New Testaments are consistently unified about Abraham. They say that this act was one of faith and obedience. Genesis 26 says Abraham obeyed God and did everything God required of him. Genesis 48 says Abraham and Isaac walked faithfully with God. 
In Isaiah 41, God calls Abraham his friend. When you get to the Gospels, you meet somebody who's very positive about Abraham named Jesus Christ. He says, your father Abraham rejoiced at the thought of seeing my day. When Jesus compliments someone, he says, you're a son of Abraham. You're a daughter of Abraham. The rest of the New Testament is absolutely clear. Paul, the, letter, the author of Hebrews, James, they all say over and over again, Abraham did the right thing. He was faithful and obedient. But the difficult question remains, what does this story tell us about God? What do we know about him because of Genesis 22? God is a God who asks his people to sacrifice. We actually find out that this same exact region, Genesis 22, God says, go to the region of Moriah. And guess what? Solomon later begins to build the temple of the Lord where all those animal sacrifices will be held in Jerusalem. Where? On Mount Moriah. The same exact spot. Jesus himself will offer his life as a sacrifice in that same area. The parallels between Isaac and Jesus are no coincidence. They're both promised to their parents. They're both called the one and only son. They're both called beloved. They both carry the wood of the sacrifice on their own backs. They're both young men. They both offer their lives up on Mount Moriah. They're both alive on the third day against all expectations. In Jesus, we see the culmination of this entire story building up to one major sacrifice. Jesus is a kind of fulfillment of Abraham's words. Abraham said 4,000 years ago, God himself will provide the lamb for the burnt offering, my son. And 2,000 years later, God's son offers himself as a lamb of God. So what do we know about God because of all of these stories? We know that God wants us to be willing to sacrifice anything and everything for him. And that's difficult to hear. When you grow up in our culture and you're told to not give anything, to keep everything for yourself, God is not that kind of God. He wants us all to be willing to sacrifice anything and everything for him. But this is so important. In Jesus Christ, we see that God sacrificed everything for us. He does not ask what he did not do himself. Paul says it this way in Romans 8. God did not withhold his own son, but gave him up for all of us. So the question for us is, what are we willing or unwilling to sacrifice? Carrie, you can skip to the very last slide. What would we think is beyond the pale for God to ask from us? Is it money? Is it our reputation? Is it the love of our family? Is it power? Is it our comfort? Is it our life? What are we willing to sacrifice and what are we unwilling to sacrifice? Because the faith of Abraham puts any excuse we could make into a very different perspective. He showed ultimate willingness, ultimate trust to give up anything and everything 
when God asks him to. It's hard to imagine giving anything like this. It's hard to imagine sacrificing like him. But God himself sacrificed all for us, and he, he's asking for anything and everything from us. Let's pray. Father, we are overwhelmed by this command that you give to Abraham to sacrifice a son, a beloved son. All of Abraham's future rides on Isaac and you ask him to do this impossible thing. Most of us can't fathom what that command would be like. But we know that Abraham was willing. He had faith, ultimate trust in you that somehow you would provide. Father, we are overwhelmed by the demand on our lives. Jesus himself says, pick up your cross daily and follow him. To be his disciple is to suffer, to give up anything and everything he would ask. By any other standard, it might be called crazy. But by your standards, it is a measure of faith and obedience. Father, we need your Holy Spirit. We cannot make these sacrifices without your help. We don't have the strength on our own, and so we ask for faith like Abraham's. We ask for a willingness to obey to the very end. We pray this in the name of Jesus. Amen.